0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Good morning, and I am joined by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Mary, good morning and happy May to you.
2: Happy May, Denny. What a beautiful day to get out and garden and enjoy the green outside.
1: Oh my goodness, the things things are happening. I uh, I bought some uh, tomato plants last week, and I've had them uh, under uh, a, a grow light, uh, not in particular, but just where I, you know keep the uh, Meyer lemon tree, and uh, I. Can- <laughs> I think if they stay there much longer, I'm going to have a supply of tomatoes. They are <laughs> they are really growing so early. Um, but I wanted to uh, invite our listeners to join in, and Mary knows how busy we get during this smart garden hour. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, and we're already receiving those, uh, call Mary or text Mary. It's the same number, 651-989-9226. Mary, I I want to mention that we're, in the last couple of weeks or so, we're getting text messages about uh, something uh, I don't think I've heard before, and it's uh, jumping worms. What is that all about?
2: Oh, jumping worms. So this is another type of invasive pest that we now have in Minnesota. Um, So these are a worm that is an annual So so this worm only lives one season and then dies, but it lays eggs and cocoons that then can overwinter. So we've seen kind of an explosion of these new worms, which are voracious eaters, and they will eat plants. And um, we usually notice where they are because there is nothing there but bare soil. So we do have these at the Arboretum and gardeners are noticing them. We have a lot of great information online about this and how to identify them. Um, I will say the key thing for right now is be on the lookout because um, they, they as I said, they're annual worms. They are not really visible yet in the garden. Um, is close. They like uh, like cool conditions. So I guess that's why they like Minnesota. But they don't like heat. But it does take a while for them to grow and become visible in the garden. And they are very active and they do jump around. So certainly something for gardeners to be on the lookout for.
1: Does it have an, another text came in about the jumping worms about mulch options, bagged or bulk how to prevent the the spread? Does it matter either um, the type of mulch options?
2: Uh, It might. Um, It all depends on, uh, of course, if the mulch was clean to begin with, you won't have a problem. Um, It it can be spread easily. uh, Jumping worms can be spread by mulch or by getting plants from another gardener who has it but don't know they have it and you get some soil that comes when you're doing uh, a plant exchange and so on. The temperature is really critical for these worms. And the kind of good thing is, is it doesn't take a lot of high temperature to kill them. They're killed at about oh, 105 or 110 degrees so, it can get that hot in some soils. And of course, if we help it with solarization by putting plastic down to get the soil warmer, that is a way that you can kill them. So, sometimes they might have been killed if they're in a bag of mulch, and other times uh, not so. So, it's, it's, um, it's hard to say yes yeah. or no with bag or uh, bulk.
1: Absolutely. Mulch. Uh, a te- a texture wants to know, Mary, is it a good time to apply a weed and feed product to the lawn or would it be better to wait for warmer temperatures?
2: Well, we're just on the very beginning of being okay for lawn fertilizer. You know, we want the lawn to be actively growing when you put on fertilizer. Um, the weed killers and It's still, other than the pre-emergence for crabgrass, we're on the end of doing that. But most of the broadleaf weed killers to kill dandelions and so on, those plants have to be up and growing. Now, we see quite a few dandelions, so that could be a weed you could control now, but again... Please read the label because the temperatures will really indicate when that, uh, chem- those chemicals become active. So we have one warm day today, but then cooler temperatures, usually below 50, a lot of our herbicides don't work very well.
1: Okay. Let's grab a phone call, Mary. I think Nancy is waiting there and he diner to ask you something. Nancy, good morning. You're on with Mary.
2: Oh, good morning Mary and good morning, Danny. I have a question. About a month ago I bought a potted Stephanotis plant. It had beautiful white uh blooms. The blooms were done. And the leaves are growing profusely. I've I've fertilized it a little bit with miracle growth, but I see nothing coming for blooms. What what, what can I do? <laughs> or how often does it bloom? <laughs> Yes, yeah, definitely. Well, it varies as to how um, old the plant is, but I would say if you give it good light conditions and some uh, regular fertilizer, that you can expect it to bloom again. So um, it and many of the plants are uh, that we buy have had great conditions in the greenhouse and then in our homes, especially with light, it's very difficult for plants to have enough light. So okay. I would say, yeah, so um, I would do a liquid fertilizer on it, maybe half strength or regular strength about, uh, I would do a liquid fertilizer on it, maybe half strength or regular strength about uh, every two weeks, and then make sure it's in good light conditions.
1: All right. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, let's see. I know we have to break, but I want to bring in Mark from Andover with uh, his question. Mark, thank you. What is uh, your question for Mary Meyer?
2: Good morning, everyone. I have a question about a locust tree. Uh, it's a young tree that's probably four to five years old. I've got a couple of limbs that are, appear to be dead because the roots were disturbed uh, a little too much. Is now a good time to prune those dead limbs off? Yes, you can go ahead and do that. A locust tree, honey locust, probably is what you have. It's fine to go ahead and do the pruning now. Uh, we don't want to do any pruning on oaks right now, but um, a, a locust, and especially limbs that are dead, yes, it's good to prune those off. And should I treat <clears throat> excuse me, should I treat the cut spot with anything, or can it just stay raw and bare? It can stay bare. Uh, Trees have a tremendous capacity to heal over, and um, you really don't need to do that. Occasionally, we do recommend putting on something to cover an open wound, but that's more in the case where we're trying to limit insects that would spread diseases. And with locusts, locusts are great plants that have minimal disease problems. So the plant will heal itself.
1: Very good. 651-989-9226 651-989-9226 nine, 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 two, two, is the phone number. It's also the text number here on our Smart Garden Show. If you'd like to get in touch with Mary Meyer and ask your lawn or garden question, that's the way to do it, 651-989-9226. Nine, 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 two, two, uh, it's already 60 degrees in the Twin Cities on our way to 85. You stay with us. We'll be right back with more of the show on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour welcoming your lawn and garden questions for good folks like our friend Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota, who's on air this morning helping you out. And as usual, Mary, we have a bunch of callers and a bunch of text messages to uh, answer as well. And I want to talk to you maybe after the weather break about uh, what's going on at the uh, Arboretum. What a What a day to get out there today. All right. We need uh, to help some folks out via phone. Linda is first up. You're calling from Columbia Heights, I believe. Linda, you're on with Mary.
2: Hi. Good morning. Uh, I have a creeping Charlie question. All right. <laughs> um, my creeping Charlie is starting to bloom. Is this a good time to put down uh, some spray? Well, we feel the best time for we feel the best time for controlling creeping Charlie is in the fall, Linda just starting to grow now, as you say. Um, The creeping charlie in my lawn, yes, I have it in my lawn, um, is blooming as well, but the foliage is very small on it so far. And we rely on the chemicals, the kill creeping charlie, to be taken up by the foliage. So you've got to have a significant mass of a plant there and the right temperatures and the labeled um, chemical for this to work. And usually it takes two applications. So um, if all those things, if you've got a big enough plant now, you can go ahead and use uh, chemical control for it. Creeping Charlie is very difficult to control just with chemicals. You usually have to do something about the environment That's um, causing that to outcompete. Usually a lawn is what people are trying to grow when they have creeping Charlie. And if it's shady or conditions are not good for grass, it's going to be tough to get rid of the creeping Charlie just by a chemical spray. Um, Consider using a different ground cover or uh, a shady lawn mix like the fine fescues.
1: Okay. Uh, This listener wants to know, when should I plant sweet corn in my garden here in the Twin Cities?
2: Uh, I think it's a little bit early to be planting sweet corn. Uh, There have been great advances with uh, sweet corn more tolerant of cold soil conditions, but usually that is something that requires the warmest of soil conditions, uh, 70 degrees or warmer. Um, So You know, you could try it right now if you know what your soil temperature is and that it's close to 70 degrees. I haven't seen soil temperatures above 60 in my own uh, garden uh, area, but uh, it's kind of a risk now. I would say you would be much safer if you wait till uh, mid-May.
1: Okay. Back to the phones we go. Jerry's calling in from St. Paul this morning. Jerry, you are on with Mary. Yeah, good morning.
2: Say, I've got a raised garden bed on the south side of my garage. I've been uh, mostly had vegetables in there, tomatoes and peppers and like that. But this year I I just want to put in some wildflowers and I was wondering if I have to do anything to the soil and when can I start planting the seeds? For you, Jerry, you will get a lot of pollinators, a lot of bees, butterflies uh, with putting in those wildflowers. Um, You don't have to do anything different to the soil to plant wildflower seeds. Um, I would just make sure that uh, the seeds have good soil contact and that you water them afterwards. You might want to try a combination of uh, seeds as well as plants. Some of the wildflower seeds can take a couple of weeks to actually uh, germinate. And I would use a combination of annual and uh, perennial wildflowers as well. And, you know, you really don't have to do just one or the other. (laughs) You could put wildflowers in and still have some uh, vegetable plants as well. Uh, We know that uh, if there are flowers there, the pollinators will come, and that really is helpful for our squash, cucumbers, and things that rely on pollinators to actually have the fruit set. So you might want to do some of both.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, this listener wants to know, uh, to, uh, they want to locate a, an arborist, a certified arborist, and they live in Anoka County. What would you suggest they do to, to search?
2: Well, we do have information on uh, how to select an arborist. Uh, That's an information sheet that we have online at extension.umn.edu. These are some of the things uh, to look for. Um, You can also uh, look for uh, recommendations from your friends and neighbors. But most arborists, will be very open to coming out and giving you estimates, and you can always get estimates from a couple different people. Most arborists will show on their website their certification, the training that um, that they have. So uh, you do a little research, and I think you could find um, some good ones because we have lots of them in the Twin Cities. And with the um, interest and the issues between oak wilt an emerald ash borer. Uh, there's a lot of uh, great uh, qualified arborists in our area.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. All right, let's grab a phone call from Jean's, calling it from Napa, Wisconsin, I believe. Yeah, Jean, uh, you're on CCO with Mary.
2: Thank you. Hi, Mary. Uh, I want to make sure that I don't import jumping worms on some apple trees I'd like to buy. Are are jumping worms ever found on bare rooted Stock And if you buy a potted stock, should we be doing something like washing off all the soil or something before bringing them on site? Well, uh, you'll have very little chance, much less chance, of getting a jumping worm with bare root plants. Because the bare root plants, yes, yes when you see those, they're kind of shocking, there's nothing on them. There's no soil on them at all. And this only happens with deciduous plants and plants that are completely dormant. So sometimes it's even hard to tell the top from the bottom when you have a bare root plant. There's nothing there. So you you have very little risk of getting jumping worms on bare root plants. Um, in containers, your best bet is to talk to where you're buying them ask them about them. Ask them if they use sterilized soil, uh, if they've ever had issues with them, um, if they're growing these plants themselves, or did they get them from somewhere else. And so that's really the best thing. Not too many growers have had issues in our, um, in Minnesota. Uh, Most of our issues are actually the plants, the worms are in the soil And um, they're in the ground. And a lot of growers use commercial uh, potting soil that is not in ground soil. If they use in ground uh, mineral soils, they sterilize those and that would kill the worms. So growers are not usually the source of where these jumping worms are coming from. They they are here already, unfortunately. So be I'd be more careful from uh, your neighbor or or someone else. Now I will say that there this is the season for plant sales. So plant sales are abundant, and one that starts today, the Ramsey County Master Gardeners are starting a wonderful plant sale. They have an online order for, I think you can order for a week, and then you go pick them up on May 15th. They are talking to you about the jumping worm issue on their website, and they say it's all sterile soil. We've already checked. So where you buy your plants, uh, you can talk to people about uh, jumping worms, and that should give you uh, the information and uh, the knowledge to go forth from there.
1: Very good. All right, Mary, let's uh, take a break and have a look at that warm fa- forecast, at least for today, and we'll be back. We have another half hour of the show to go on our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830. WCCO, stay with us. At 60. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Lawn and Garden Show. We call it Smart Garden, welcoming your Lawn and Garden questions to Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota, 651 989 Well, here it is, Mary, the 1st of May, and uh, what is going on, I suppose, as usual, a lot at the Arboretum?
2: Yes, there's a lot going on at the Arboretum, and it's certainly a beautiful place to see spring flowers. There are many wildflowers, of course, in the Dayton Wildflower Garden. That's a uh, a peak thing in the spring, and there there are lots of wildflowers out. The tulips are starting to bloom, so the tulips is our formal garden that um, you can see there. Uh, I would say that tulips are maybe one third of the ones that are planted are out, so they're just starting to show a lot of color, and the early rhododendrons are the a lot of the purple rhododendrons are out and the daffodils are still beautiful so it's a wonderful uh, place to take a walk um, you will have to have reservations to uh, go to the arboretum members are free other adults are 15 dollars each a week from today will be the auxiliary plant sale so this is another one of the spring uh, plant sales um you it's free admission to go to the plant sale but if you want to go to the arboretum as well then the regular um, admission applies and the plant sale is going to be up at the farm at the arb so a different location than it has been i guess it's been there a couple of years now but a great number of things to take in at the arboretum tomorrow is the uh, bud break run, and then their markets uh, through May. There's some special markets with uh, vendors. You can look online and see if one of your favorite vendors is going to be selling things at the Arboretum. So, lots to do.
1: Boy, I should say, and we'll remind folks too in next week's show about uh, what's going on as well. All right. We have many calls. We have many texts, Mary. Uh, let's get to it. Kelly's first up here calling from Coon Rapids. Kelly, what's your question for uh, Mary?
2: Hi. I've got a, um, a clematis that it seems to put new shoots out of the old growth. Is there any way for me to, to prune back or get rid of the old growth without destroying the plant? Uh, Good question, Kelly, because clematis are really tricky. There are actually three kinds of clematis, and it's so difficult to tell what kind you've got and how to prune it. So what I usually do is I wait until I see growth coming on the vine itself, and then I prune back to where you can see that growth. So I know that's kind of a patience thing, but that's the best way to do it, unless you know the cultivar and can look up online. Some clematis will die totally back to the ground, and those can be cut off because they're not going to put out buds up above. But I have both kinds. I have some that I've cut totally back because I know there's nothing living up above. And others that I just wait and see how high up those buds come. Sometimes it's two and three feet up the vine where you'll have it will it's still alive. And then, of course, you have a real head start. So the best thing is wait and see. Usually the top tip, the top foot or two doesn't have uh, uh, buds on. Uh, and usually the, the more uh, there's more uh, life in the bottom of the vine. But you just have to look carefully and wait, and they're just starting now. So if your clematis hasn't started growing yet, that's not that abnormal. I would say I, you still could wait a couple more weeks.
1: Okay. This uh, texture wants to know, uh, Mary, what is my forsythia-only flower at the base of the plant?
2: Well, unless you have northern sun or one of the hardy forsythias that were bred for flowering here in the north, the only flower buds that will live in cold temperatures are ones covered up by snow. And so those protected ones will, flower buds will have flowers, but up above where the air temperatures have been too cold, those flower buds die. Northern Sun is the one uh, that I recommend the most because that was developed here at the University of Minnesota, and that those flower buds will flower um, uh you know three feet four feet tall
1: okay back to the phones we go, Marilyn I believe is calling from Roseville this morning, Marilyn, good morning. you're on with Mary.
2: Yes, good morning, and what a beautiful morning it is yes. I have a couple of questions. I have wintered my geraniums and a number of other plants in my kitchen. And I have, rather than cutting them way back, they've gotten a, a little leggy. And I'm wondering if I take a cutting, how the best way to root them would be. For you, Marilyn, overwintering your geraniums. And, yes, taking cuttings is one way that we recommend to do it. The commercial growers do this, and they take the cuttings, oh, January or something like that, uh, quite a while ago. But you can certainly do it now. Um, wherever there's a leaf attached to the stem, that's where the roots are going to come out. So you want to cut a long enough shoot and then cut off the, the leaf because at that node, that joint there, that's where the roots will come out. I would use a lightweight uh, commercial uh, potting soil to stick the cuttings in. And then I would uh, not very many leaves on the top because they're going to dry out and they don't have roots. And then I'd use kind of a plastic bag kind of over the top of it, kind of to keep it um, in humid conditions. Don't put it in full sun, but yet have good sunlight. and, And hopefully that will root for you. Uh, Some of our listeners have probably done this in water, and that's another way of doing it. Um, You can try some of each.
1: Okay, very good. Let's go to St. Louis Park. Lori has been waiting there to ask you a question. Thank you, Lori. What is your question?
2: Hi, thank you so much. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yes, sure.
2: Oh, great, great, great. Um, I have, uh, we bought a couple of tomato plants, and they are in, they're about two feet tall, And they're in pots that are about twelve inches diagonally, and they're called bush tomatoes. One is a better bush, one's a bush Goliath. Um, My question is: do do these need to get transplanted into bigger pots? I'm just not positive if I need to do that for tomatoes. Uh, Yeah, Lori, I think that would be a good idea. They're uh, twelve inches is. eh that's like a minimum and they're two feet tall. So they're a big plant now and they've got a, a great head start, but I think that's going to be tough for you to give them enough water and fertilizer to uh, produce. Now they are bush plants, as you say, so the, that it, that means they are a smaller plant. They're not going to grow endlessly taller and taller and taller, but I would, I would say, yes, if you can put those in a pot that is, um, you know, 18 inches, even um, 18 to 20 inches uh, in diameter. I I would try that uh, size. Bushes, it's smaller, but still, you've got to water these plants really every day, and they need full sun, and then they dry out sooner. So, yeah, I'd go for a bigger pot.
1: Okay. This listener, Mary, says, we had two large silver maples removed last year, and we are now having trouble getting the grass to grow in those spots. Is there anything we can do to help get the grass to grow better?
2: You might try aeration um, at this point. What you've got there is a lot of tree roots and silver maples are great competitors for making a lot of roots, taking up a lot of water and they would have really dominated in a situation like that. So, um, there's just no way those um, those tree roots just take a while to deteriorate and uh, decay and die, and in the meantime, yeah, I I would try to aerate that area. Uh, the other thing is that the kind of grass seed, the fine fescues, are very tolerant of drier soil conditions. And hopefully now it's in full sun, fescues grow fine in full sun, but you might have better luck with some fescue, uh, overseeding some fescue uh, seed on there as well.
1: Okay. This listener wants to know, is it too early to plant geraniums outside in a container?
2: You know, it's kind of a risk. Uh, today, we're going to think we could put anything outside right. Right? <laughs> because it's going to be so warm. But it's really kind of a risk. Uh, when it's below 40 degrees at night, uh, a lot of plants are not going to like that. And things like tomatoes, geraniums are actually kind of tough. So you could probably get by with geraniums okay. Uh, but it it is a risk. Uh, they, the real heat-loving tropical plants... It's just, I think it's too much of a risk uh, to put them out until so we get to about May 10th. Then we're okay. then we're of a low risk area. yeah As
1: we head to the break, I'm looking at the uh, forecast for the coming week. And the overnight lows are generally around 40, 39 or 40 for overnight lows. So let that uh, be uh, be your guide. All right, let's do generally around 40, 39 or 40 for overnight lows. So let that uh, be uh, be your guide. All right, let's do this, Mary. It's H- And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCR Radio every Saturday at the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your lawn and garden questions either by phone or by text. This morning, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota helping you out today. 651-989-9226. Mary, maybe we can mention before we run out of time. And you did it earlier in the show. Uh, the university website, and maybe for new listeners, what and there's so so many things you can find there. But give give us some, some examples of what we can find in that great website.
2: Yes, the website is extension.umn.edu. And then you click on Garden, and you'll find lots of information there. You can sign up to get the Yard and Garden newsletter, which comes out twice a month. And that's where the tips are from all the Extension educators about timely information and what to be doing um, in your garden. But we also have information on what's wrong with my plant, what insect is this, what weed is this. So lots of pictures and lots of great information. Uh, This morning I was looking at the lawn calendar, which uh, Julie Weisenhorn made, which is great to tell you what to do when in your lawn. It shows the whole um, annual growth life cycle of our cool season lawn grasses and when's the best time to do fertilizer, watering, and uh, weed control.
1: Okay, yeah, it's a great website extension.umn.edu. All right. Tons of text messages. Here's one, Mary. It says, I have two rhododendron bushes that are getting pretty big the last few years. They are full of buds, but they only bloom around the bottom. What causes this and what can I do to fix them?
2: This, again, might be winter injury because the rhododendrons, uh, and de- depending on how much snow cover they have, the exposure, et cetera, they, the PJM, the the purple one, which is the first one to flower, the one that's out now, is one of our hardiest ones, but it still can be damaged by uh, winter uh, temperatures, winds, et cetera. So uh, protecting it, make sure it's as healthy as possible, and think about planting um, another one at a different location in your home. You might have more success with that. Rhododendrons really do like acidic soil as well, and so that is something that um, uh, incorporating peat moss into the soil and making sure it's acid where you planted it, that helps also with its growing.
1: Okay. This listener wants to know, can Dutch white clover be successfully broadcast now?
2: Yes, you can do that. Um, It will germinate now as the soil is getting warmer. Uh, White clover, we know, is a favorite of many of our native bees. It attracts a wide number of bees uh, for it. It will persist in your lawn with mowing, and it also uh, fixes nitrogen and supplies nitrogen. naturally. So you don't have to fertilize as much if you have clover uh, in your lawn. It's available at most garden centers now from uh, seed and very small. But yes, you can broadcast the seed needs to land on soil to germinate.
1: This listener wants to know when's the right time of year to thatch or power rake a lawn?
2: You could do that right now. We do, uh, commercial growers are doing, the sod growers, the the golf courses and so on, parks do that in the spring and the fall. Fall is the prime time to do it, but if you have thatch in your lawn, if you've got one of those premium um, Kentucky bluegrasses that does uh, build up a lot of thatch, uh, you can do that now in the spring.
1: Okay. This listener wants to know, what's a good all-purpose granular fertilizer for outdoor flower gardens?
2: Well, our traditional one that we've recommended for years has uh, like 5-10-10 uh, or 5 10 um, But what we know now is that many of our soils, especially in Minnesota, around the cities, really have high phosphorus, which is that middle number, and they don't need as much phosphorus. Uh, So I'd recommend that you have a soil test done to see whether or not you need to add phosphorus and potassium. And then um, based on what your soil test uh, results are, you'll know how much fertilizer you need to add.
1: Speaking of fertilizer, this listener said, uh, um, "What should the interval of fertilizing flowers in beds or in pots be different?"
2: Oh yeah. So when you're when you've got a soil in a container, it has much uh, different uh, growing conditions than it does in the ground. First of all, in a container. A lot of times if you purchase a plant, you're not getting a mineral soil, which is the soil that's in the ground. The soil that's in the ground has got the nutrients. It's usually a very complex um, living ecosystem. It's totally different than a synthetic or lightweight potting soil that commercial growers use. Um, They're both good, but they're just very different. And the commercial potting soils they're they're really lightweight. They're great for uh, air spaces and root growth and rapid product, rapid plant growth. But they usually have very few nutrients, if any. And so they're totally dependent on us to put the nutrients in there. The mineral soils they're very different. They're complex and they hold a lot of uh, elements. And they've got a lot more uh, capacity. plants to grow so they're just two totally different things
1: we have a couple minutes to go mary here's a listener that says (laughs) my poor meyer lemon tree it is weighted down with five almost ripe lemons but it has scale that i've tried to treat and now it has a uh, has a blossom white leaves are dropping any ideas what they can do this listener can do
2: well, controlling that scale is really a challenge. So I would try, um, you know, hand removing those sticky yucky things as much as you can. Maybe an insecticidal soap on that. Giving the plant a good shower. Trying to remove those. Um, yeah, that scale is really really tough on those uh, citrus plants, and of course you're hoping to. Eat those citrus plants, so I would not use any uh, chemical control. The chemical controls will really take care of your scale, but that's a whole year that you won't be able to eat any of the Meyer lemons. The, the, uh, the drop of the petals is natural. Uh, that's after the fruit, uh, after the flower has um, finished, the petals will fall off. They can make quite a mess. There's a lot of petals to those, but that's yeah. normal. And then, they, then the little uh, the little fruits will start growing.
1: All right. Mary, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your help, as usual. And uh, always I hope a you pleasure, en- Denny. And you enjoy the day today. <laughs> we will too. You
2: too. Happy right.
1: gardening. Happy gardening to you, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Get those home improvement questions ready. Andy Lindis is going to be helping you out to get those answers next hour here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Partly sunny skies. That's what we expect here in the Twin Cities. How about this daytime high today, 85 or near it? Right now, partly cloudy skies, CCO temp at 60. This episode is brought to you by
0: Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.